And now, from somewhere in the Houston Midtown area, it's the sit down with Slick Vic. Welcome, everyone. It's the sit down with Slick Vic. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'd like to welcome my guest in, a good buddy of mine, uh, criminal defense attorney John Paul Cedillo. Thank you for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. Uh, my pleasure to be here. My pleasure to be here. It's uh, it's uh, it's an honor. I gotta admit, I heard some of your other episodes, and I'm frankly very impressed with the level of of frankness and conversation you got out of some of these folks that I've been knowing for a while. <laughs> you know, man, I just really try to keep it uh, just very casual. You know, I, I, I really don't uh, have a certain format to say. You know, it's really just having a, a conversation really yeah. i want people to be comfortable you know right now you know you're sipping an old-fashioned um i've just finished an old-fashioned um in rec- record time um we don't need to elaborate i mean first of all i make a great old-fashioned and mm-hmm. i hadn't had one in a while so um, plus i just drank a lot of coffee so i was trying to wind down a little bit me too i got the coffee going too i think coffee and alcohol is a great mixture uh for a podcast to get the to get the brain flowing, you know. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of a of a little uh, roller coaster there. Yes. So, uh, for those of you that don't know him, which is uh, probably a lot of you listening right now, everybody. <laughs> um, and as you know, these are some things that I actually don't know myself. So, tell me a little about uh, your you know your upbringing. Like where where were you where were you born? Where did you grow up? Um, let's see. I was born uh, on the banks of the Kamal River. Not literally, figuratively, <laughs> uh, in New Braunfels, Texas, uh, in 1984 on Super Bowl Sunday. Awesome. Who was playing? I knew you were going to ask that, <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. 84. It was the... I want to say it, the it was Bears? the Raiders? Raiders? Or someone. No, the Bears Ranger. were 85 or 86. I think yeah. it was the Washington Rangers. You mean the Redskins? Playing the, uh, playing the Toronto... No, there's no, <laughs> there's no NFL team in Toronto. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. You never know what's going to happen. No, I don't know. I don't know. It was so playing. you're from New Braunfels, Texas. Yes, and my okay, and it, it's not a metaphor for anything, but uh, but my mom was giving birth in the room, my, and remembers vividly that my dad was out watching the game. <laughs> Did he have money in the game? Oh, he's not a big gambler, oh, so okay. I can't imagine. He's too he's too tight. Who was he who was he rooting for? Um I don't know, man. I think he was just he's not rooting for me. He's rooting <laughs> for the for the outcome of the game. He wasn't, you know. So that's that. And then uh yeah, we grew up. They let's see, they were together. And then I had my brother, uh, who's probably gonna be a, a guest on the podcast too later, some at some point. Yeah, we. Uh, if y'all can work your schedules out, Gerald will be appearing on the show in the future. I hope so. I hope so. Just a little tease there for the, for the <laughs> audience at home. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So he came later, two years later, and then the parents kind of had some acrimony. You know, had some issues work uh, to work on, and then they, uh, they they tried to work them out, and then uh, that ended up how usually that ends up in divorce. And so me and G are products of a of a. Um, a beautifully broken home. <laughs> um, so, when when did you? Uh, well, who did you end up living with? Your dad at, at the, or your uh, mom? You know, actually, yeah, I lived with my my mom a little bit, like from you know three to like seven, six, 
And then I moved my dad full time. So from about seven on, I was with my dad full time, except for, you know, summers with, with the mom, which is kind of the opposite of how most kids have it. They usually have it with the mom. But ours experience was kind of flip flopped because um, our mom's her job took her out, you know, traveling. So she was not so, you know, uh, she didn't want to have a, an itinerant life with the kids. So we stayed planted with our dad and lived with him. Uh, I know that your 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 father has a practice in, in in Rosenberg. Yeah. When when did that move occur? Uh, let's see. He pretty early on. He uh, only had an office in New Braunfels. His main base has always been in Rosenberg. That's where his family's from, and that kind of thing. So, so yeah. So we from as far back as I can remember, um, we've been uh, to quote Goodfellas. We've been um, hmm. we've been living in Rosenberg. Which, as you know, is a outer outer suburb. I like to claim of a leaf. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. I know. I know. Anyone, who, anyone who knows, it's crazy because anyone who doesn't know a leaf, that doesn't make they don't know what that is at all. But anyone who does know a leaf is like that's no, that's the burbs. That the, the <laughs> police police presence is not is nowhere near a leafs. Right. No. It's yeah. Rosenberg is is a little ways away from a leaf. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Distance wise, but not not. Not in the heart. I get it, man. Yeah, I get it. Um, so your dad is a lawyer. He's a criminal defense lawyer, though he does dabble in other other things too, other types of law. I didn't mean that to sound yeah. so ominous. Let me ask you this: what what uh, generation are, are, are is your family? Has your family been here for a while, or um, they've been here long enough for me not to have good Spanish. <laughs> uh, they uh, actually. My mom's side is more recent. Uh, I think I think we're third generation there, and my dad's is got to be at least fourth, because we have a record of my grandpa um, trying trying to. He signed up for the military. He wanted to fight in World War One, but they did a they did a he had a medical report and they had like a spot on his lung, which turned out to be benign. It was nothing, but they thought it was TB, oh, tuberculosis. Okay. So um, so he has a you know a record of being F four F I think they call it or whatever. But he couldn't he couldn't serve so. And that was from World War One, I, I believe. So way back when. So we've been causing trouble here in the states for a long time. Is is uh was was your dad the first lawyer in your family? He was. Matter of fact, he, he was the first Hispanic attorney in Fort Bend County. Wow. He okay, and and then he's bandied that like around a lot, and then somebody, some older, some old head from his generation, <laughs> she like called him out one day, and she's like, "No, the, this other attorney." Another well-respected old school attorney. She's like, he was the first one. And my dad suddenly, and then he was like, well, okay, that guy had an office in Houston. So he was the first Hispanic attorney that would like practice. But I was the first one to really open up shop in Fort Bend County. So that's his little right, caveat. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, and th that's crazy to me because, um, I mean, that was in 74. It was in 1974. No, before that, aside from one Houston attorney that would come in, no Hispanic attorneys in all of Fort Bend County, which, as you know now, like it's, come on, it's one of the biggest up and coming counties in the in the country. Um, you know, population's exploding. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you, I mean, I do know Vic that you follow politics, but um, I mean, I don't know if anyone listened to this cares or knows, but um, it's it's one of those districts counties that people have their eye on because it was very red, and then it's slowly starting to kind of be more reliably blue so it means a place where you know things are happening and to think only in, in the 70s you know there were no there was nothing but white attorneys and 
that's it. I mean, that's just kind of blows the mind. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Uh, yeah, that's not, it's not that long ago. Not know? that long ago. Not that long ago. So how much of an influence did that play in, in, you know, in your decision to, to become an attorney? I'm going to say zero. <laughs> uh, well, first, before we even get to that point, um, is that something that you always wanted to do it? Or when you were younger, did you have other aspirations? Um, when someone first asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, I think it was my kindergarten teacher. I said I wanted to be a dinosaur. <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, it's not too late. But I, uh, but no, I did not want to be an attorney. I wanted to be a writer, which I think is an aspiration that most like uh, – most people in the in the burbs who have a, a a romantic idea of what a writer's life is, um, I think a lot of us want to do that because we think it entails like drinking with unsavory people and being secret and being famous. But like I don't know, just being an intellectual. But then I realized I could drink and be an intellectual without having to <laughs> ever write anything right. at all. So that's the route I chose. But yeah, no, I wanted to I wanted to be a writer or a journalist of some kind. I, in college, I dabbled with, you know, writing a screenplay or something like that. You know, a lot of artistic ambitions, but, um, so when uh, you, when you entered college, you didn't like, uh, did you know before you, you still didn't know that you wanted to be an attorney at that point? I had no idea. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was thinking I was going to go and and be trained and, and come out as a writer, uh, some kind of way, some kind of somehow. I mean, I, when I went to college, man, I had like, you know, Kerouac and Hemingway in my, in my brain. And that's what I was thinking. That's all I talked about. That's a lot of what I, you know, my persona was, I I very much wanted to, you know, I wrote a lot, um, wrote a lot of stuff and, um, you know, all of it's embarrassing now, but I, but I did at the time. So that was, that was the goal. So at what point did you make a shift? When, when, when did that, and what, what made that uh, shift happened what what happened um in high school uh, it's about to get super nerdy here in <laughs> high school i did uh high school debate uh houston has a very good i guess oh this this yeah this is gonna be very uh, shout out to my nerds here but uh i don't i don't know if the the lead into your podcast the hardcore hardcore music with the with the guitar power riffs <laughs> is, is gonna be a good intro for this part of the podcast because it's pretty um anyway no, Houston has a very good debate scene, a good debate um, circuit. A lot of people who are who come out of our schools go, you know, do na- do nationals and do really well. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but that just seems to be the way. And uh, and so my school out in the Burbs was like on the fringe. We were never good, but we were never terrible. We were just you know good enough to compete. So when I went to university, I wanted to keep doing something with speech debate. And at, at that level, it changes. They they do all these other events, different types of events, parliamentary debate, um, different types of events that I was not interested in. Um, I actually liked the kind of that we did in high school, and and so I was like, okay, well that doesn't interest me. So I was looking around for something to do. I was going through one of those career fairs, and I talked to a guy that was on the mock trial team, and I didn't know anything about it. And he just explained to me. He said, hey, come try out. I was like, all right. So I just gave it a try out. And I made the team, and uh, I just I loved the people I was working with, and the the actual when we started doing the competitions, it was a lot of fun. They had a good camaraderie, and they were pretty successful. Had a you know like any successful group, they have a lineage, and they're proud of it. So I started doing that, um, and that's what really you know that's what really made me want to be a lawyer because I enjoyed it and was good at it, 
and uh, I can talk a lot more, you know, in depth and talk your ear off about like the theory behind it. But that's what I like to do that kind of storytelling. And, and you know, in a way, it kind of is that artistic impulse still channeled through that through that way through that medium. It's funny you bring up debate. Um, how, how, I mean, I would assume a good percentage of lawyers were on the debate team, right? Or maybe being on the the, the debate team kind of fueled something in them because. Um, one thing I, I, uh, I've heard about, you know, what a lawyer does in the courtroom is basically, you know, you're basically trying to persuade the jury to believe this version of the truth. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, you know, because, you know, I, even eyewitness testimony can vary from person to person. Um, we're just trying to, each lawyer is just trying to paint the most accurate picture. Um, unless there's video evidence, it's very difficult to actually paint exactly the way it went down, right? Or the most favorable picture. Exactly. So you're really just going like, hey, you know, this is what th- this is what happened. Here's, here's the information. And it's basically each a lawyer is painting a different picture of what actually happened, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, and then, right, you have two. That's what's so great about the adversarial system that we have set up here that, you know, two people walk in and each one has their set of facts. Each one has their ideas of how something, some event went down. And that's what it is. They're both painting the the portrait that they were brought in there to paint. You know, if you're the state, you want to say whatever this person is, we accused him of doing is is this kind of heinous act. And if you're the defense, you know, you try to do whatever you can to, to change that, point at someone else, explain why it happened, say it wasn't my guy, y'all got it all wrong. You know, whatever it is in the toolkit to make people have reasonable doubt, then, then, then that's what you do. Um, but a, uh, in law school, one of my professors, actually my mock trial coach, um, he taught us how to do cross-examination. And, and, and he spent a lot of time talking about the technique and how to do it and how to do it well and and the purpose of it. But the one thing he stressed, which goes right to your point, Vic, is um, at the very last lesson he gave on cross-examination is was more of like a responsibility lesson. He was like, okay, I've taught you. Here's what he literally said. He said, I've taught you how to make someone look like a liar in front of a jury. You have the skills to go into the courtroom and make some dude off the street look like he's a, like he's trash or like he's lying, like he's you know biased or whatever it is. You, you have the skills and the power. And, you know, like Peter Parker, <laughs> uh, hmm. with great power comes great responsibility. He didn't say that, but he said, he said, now you just have to use it wisely because that's a, that's a, awful responsibility you can make 12 people think someone's a you know full of shit or you can think you can make them think someone's a saint when you know that 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 person's full of shit so he just said you know use it wisely and use it responsibly have you done when you're the prosecutor have you done any of those or are you strictly only uh when i was trained in in undergrad and in law school when i did mock trial as well you know you get trained to do both sides right they train you to do prosecutor criminal cases they train you to do plaintiff cases you know all all sides but no since i got out um <laughs> like it's a jail sentence <laughs> since i got out since i uh, since was released finished? from law school <laughs> um yeah they uh, i've only been aside from a brief stint doing some other law I, i've mostly been doing criminal defense is that what you prefer or mm. is that just what actually actually hold up i lied to you I, I mostly do criminal defense i also do immigration and i also do a smattering of some other things so like i've done some um some consumer rights cases and i've done some uh 
some civil cases. So, so, but those are pretty on a kind of a case by case basis. I don't, that's not my majority. So yeah, it's mostly criminal defense, man. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, you do a lot of, like you said, do a lot of, uh, defense. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of defensive stuff. Um, is that, do you, do you think you do that because of maybe there's too much of an abuse from the other side and you kind of, kind of have to, even even the the you know the playing field is do you do you see that all the time when um, when you're dealing with 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 the court system? Man, that is a great question, and that could take. I mean, that answer to that is playing out right now. So topical, it's playing out right now on the streets. You know, that the answer to that question is is what people feel. Um, the abuses are so prevalent that people are feeling like they got to get out, and there's no there's no. Um, there's no redress for it, so they're out in the streets protesting. Um, but, but personally, yeah, I, uh, my decision to be a criminal defense lawyer was a multi multifold, and that was one of them. I, my dad told me a long time ago. He said, uh, he said you can do whatever kind of law you want, but in my opinion, I think there's enough people, more than enough people, trying to put brown and black guys in jail. So he said you can do whatever you want, and I'll respect you, but. That's my opinion. I, I, you know, and that's all he needed to say. And he probably didn't didn't even need to say that because I, that's how I feel too. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of great attorneys, great people, um, white, black, um, Asian, Latino, Latina, whatever, um, who are prosecutors and who are, you know, attorneys for the state, and they have a different view, and they think that well, if I'm part of the system, I'm part of the change, I can do my job and be fair, and that's what we need, and I. I get that. I totally get that argument. I just don't feel that. I don't want to ever be putting anyone behind bars. I always want to be trying to liberate them. Okay, speaking of that, but uh, I'm sure. So let me ask you this: you, you, you. Whenever you decide to take a case, right? When mm-hmm. somebody comes to you, it's like, hey, you know, I, I would like to hire you to defend yeah. me. Um, do you need to hear what happened? Or do you just go, hey, okay, so what's the charge? Okay, that's the charge. All right, it's going to be this much. Well, I do have kind of, I do have kind of a, a guideline flat fee. Like if it's a misdemeanor, it's probably going to be around this much. If it's a felony, it's going to be around this much. If it's a super aggravated felony, which I get and which I take, you know, it's going to be, you know, I know my ballpark, a ballpark amount. Um, I do try to get them to tell me about the case so I can get a better idea of how much I have to do. Um, like... Just when, if someone walks in with a misdemeanor, if they tell me, oh, Mr. Steele, I have a misdemeanor case, you know, all misdemeanors are not equal. There are some that are like, if it's like, oh, I got in a fight at a bar, it's mostly, you, you're just gonna, meaning me, I'm just gonna have to talk to some eyewitnesses and whatever. Um, that's not that quote unquote difficult. That might be time intensive, but it's not that difficult. But if someone has a, is caught driving drunk and there's like blood test or there's a breath test, um, then it's scientific. And so they're, they both might be class B misdemeanors, but I'm going to have to possibly get an expert or possibly review some scientific documents. And, you know, there's just a whole lot more to it. So, so yeah, there's, there's difference based on the facts. So one thing that is, you know, common. Don't try to get me to commit to charges, (laughs) to fees right here on the air, bro. (laughs) This is a disclaimer. Everything is negotiable (laughs) on a case by case basis. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's 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 the moral dilemma that you 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 have to face though if if somebody comes to you and and they say hey I need your help and and then in in 
and them telling you what happened, you realize, hey, this guy, like, this guy's guilty. But I now, because, you know, now I'm his lawyer, I have to do my job and defend him, right? And and, and is, is I don't know how, you know, I'm, just, I'm asking you how, how you view that. I'm assuming that maybe it has to do with the fact that the corruption in the other side is is not playing fairly. So maybe you have to, you know, get this guy off in this scenario because they're putting other people away using, you know, improper tactics. Yeah, um, that's something I think about. And I have had cases where I know the police or strongly, strongly, strongly suspect the cops have, in my our own community, have, um, have abused their power. Um, I mean, I got a guy that, that I know or strongly, strongly suspect because I don't know, I wasn't there. But, you know, from everything I've been told, from the fact that these cops all coincidentally turned off their dash cams or didn't have them or they forgot they left them on their charger, like seven cops um, all all at once, you know, um, they essentially beat a dude's ass and they knew they were going to and they they, they, they collaborated and they, they met beforehand and then they did it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so I have cases like that and we can't prove it. There's no proof. And of course, this is before, long before the protests that are happening now. But but yeah, I know that's there. Yeah, I uh, if someone comes to me back to your question though, someone's guilty. Um, that's tough, Vic. I I am not a judge or a jury, so I don't assign guilt to anyone. You know, someone comes to me and they say, "Here's what I'm charged with. Here's what's up." Or even if they straight up say, "Here's what I did. I am charged with domestic violence." Okay, what happened? And they say, "I got drunk and hit my wife." You know. Okay, well that's you know, it's pretty much it. You know, you pretty much did it. Um. But the job is multifold. Like, on the one hand, every person deserves a defense. So if that person says they want it, they need it, they you know want their day in court, um, then I have to go in there and defend them. There is an ethical rule. Um, you're not supposed to. I mean, I'm not. I'm ethically bound to not lie to the court or to the jury. So my guy tells me I'm guilty, uh, and I go in there. And I can't say he didn't do it. You know, I'm just not allowed to do that. And I, if he tells me that. I will tell them you got to get another lawyer, and you might not want to tell them that. You might, if if you want to, if you want to declare your innocence, then don't don't tell them that. Exactly. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I've had people where I I see the evidence, and I'm like, this dude, he did the, you know, Beretta did that shit. Um, but everyone's entitled to their day in court, and my and also I I always make the analogy, um, of like when you go into a hospital if you're injured. And you, you know, you've been in a car accident. You don't want the doctor going, does this guy deserve for me to give him my, my best? No, you just want your doctor to go in there and try to fix you. And my job is like the emergency room doctor. I'm just there to help the guy in his worst situation, you know? So you know, I, I completely, I completely agree with you because, you know, if you have this type of, you can't, you can't just, um, take, and make up a rule for every specific situation, right? These rules are made on broad spectrums, right? Right. So you have to say, all right, well, most of the time, um, and this brings me to my next point, um, money seems to be a huge factor in everything as it is in, in it, pretty much every aspect of the world. Oh, you um, want to write me the check for the podcast <laughs> right now? or It's very difficult to get a very good attorney in general, right? Unless you have a, 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 a significant amount of money, right? Totally. And 
and and and how much how much do you feel that plays a role in in really bringing justice to people when um you see the people with the money are able to get these lawyers and get these light sentences yeah you know i I don't even think you know i get it yeah racial you know race plays a huge role but at the end of the day you know you're white black mexican you know you you bring that that money that green Mm -hmm. um doors open how how big of a role do you see that that playing in the justice system and, and what 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 do you do in order to kind of kind of maybe help people out if if you do anything in terms of you know helping people out who just don't have the money to to really I'm I'm sure you've had maybe issues where people come in and go hey man like this is what happened and you're just like wow like I I really need to help this person you know yeah yeah people come to me and they ask for help a lot of times and I don't do anything no, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding no I uh, of course man I. Uh, you know, I have a heart. I'm a bleeding liberal and uh, I'm a snowflake. And so, yes, I and I, I look around and I, rec- I recognize that race, socioeconomic status, lots of citizenship, lots of things impact people, how people are affected by the justice system. And I hate it. I hate it because, you know, the statue on the justice on the, every courthouse in America is a blind woman. Like everyone should be treated fairly. I, sh- I don't see any of it. I just... Um, but um, but that's not how it is, you know. A friend of ours whose name will go unnamed used to say, "Money solves all problems." Uh, you can guess, you can think about who that who said that, and I won't. Actually, they've since denounced that, but <laughs> but that stuck in my head that they used to say, "Money solves all problems," and it's true, um, a lot of them. And I I've seen it because, like for example, I just gave the example earlier of like someone coming in with a DWI, and then there's some scientific test, breath test, blood test, that says they were this drunk, um, and. Uh, you know, that's powerful evidence for a jury or any of us. You know, if I saw a blood result that said I'm, you know, 0.08 after drinking this one drink, I'd probably be like, okay, that's what it was. You know, you trust the science. A rich person has the ability to hire uh, an expert to come in there and throw a reasonable doubt on that. A poor pers- person doesn't. You know, so the facts could be exactly the same. And a rich person will have more of a chance in front of a jury and a poor person won't. So um, there's tons of tons of cases like that. Uh you know, I there's things in the law we use, and this isn't a legal podcast, so I won't go into all this, all the inside baseball. But there's a lot of things we can do in the legal system that are more work on the part of the attorney, but that I do to try and get um, my clients to get represent, you know, to get that help, even the poor ones. They all deserve um, a fair shot, and so I I bend over backwards to try and make it work. Um, but the biggest thing I do is that frequently happens is um, I get a lot of undocumented clients, man. Here in Houston, obviously, Rosenberg area, Richmond, Fort Bend County, well, all over. And uh, and their cases are harder because the the consequences for them are harder. So, um, you know, when, when they're facing crime, uh, when, you know, when they're facing, you know, they commit a crime and they have to go to court and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, charged with the crime. When they're charged well, with the crime. Yeah, when they're charged with the crime. Um, I mean, one of the first things that's going to come up is when, you know, they take their fingerprints, look at their paperwork, it's going to be like, hey, this guy, mm-hmm. this guy is not supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, even if you're able to get them off, which is probably difficult, do they still get deported? I mean, that depends. They're, they are, they're thrown to the wolves twice. They have to face a state court, you know, that situation, the, the stadies, and then they have, they have immigration court. And so then... They're at double peril. They have two systems to navigate, each one with their ups and downs and 
pitfalls and and uh, and and traps. So, you know, where a normal normal where a citizen gets drunk and goes out and has a stupid, you know, has a car crash or whatever and is driving drunk, they have to face the, the state system and that's it. But an undocumented person, they have that and they have another equally expensive, equally difficult, probably even more difficult um, battle on their hands, which is with immigration. And uh, but that I mean I think that's that's justified, right? If if you know they come over here, like I'm 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 I you know I'm uh, I, I came I'm an immigrant. Mm-hmm. I have a long history of, of immigration in my family, people that came here legally or illegally. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean I think you you do have to have that type of system in place, right? Well, I would say uh, yes, you have to have some kind of system. I, I'm no one's going to say you know it shouldn't matter. But I think that immigration attorneys will tell you that it's uh, that the system we have is is not fair, and is unnecessarily cruel, and is difficult to navigate, and uh, and the relief for people is uh, the relief for people who are otherwise model citizens that maybe got and you know I say some of them have been charged with crimes, some of them might have just been pulled over for a traffic ticket. I mean, there's a wide range of what gets people in immigration court. Um, but yeah, anyone who comes on police radar can end up in immigration court. So is it justified? I would say some system is justified, and I agree with you on that. But I would disagree that what what they are facing is justified because I've been in those immigration courts, and they are, um, and in detention centers, and it's not um, it's not a good place anyone wants to be. Yeah, the the, the treatment is is you know is terrible. Um, I don't have experience in immigration centers uh i do have experience in the texas uh prison system and i did talk to people who experienced both mm-hmm. and and you know they there you can com- you can compare both depending on the unit in texas and i mean the, the 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 penal system in general right is very very flawed absolutely um you 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 know you've dealt with you've had i'm sure you've had many clients um i'm assuming you've had some clients who have Criminal histories, correct? Um, I mean, if they're from A Leaf, uh, everyone else seems to be pretty clean. What's your your opinion on on the system, on the on our criminal system, um, where this the whole purpose is to just incarcerate instead of what I think is should be the answer, and that's rehabilitation. Well, I would say, what's your opinion on it? I mean, you've had, you know. No, no, you know, yeah, I intimate mean, experience with it. I, I, I do, I do, but I, I, I like to get your opinion on it uh, as an attorney, and and just kind of because you deal with with people that have experienced it, and you also have not experienced it, so you kind of true, true. Yeah, you know, I think that it's like anything else. It's experience that some weirdly some people come out better from that experience, just like in any difficult life situation some people actually kind of turn things around and that's good but but that even with apart from those few instances i don't know a few i'm sure a lot of people come out and they've turned themselves around but um apart from those instances i i wouldn't wish anyone to have to go through that because i don't think it's a place where good things happen i don't think it's a place for rehabilitation i don't think it's a place for i mean anyone can rise above and and filter out those negative things happening in there and try and stay safe and try and keep to themselves and try to educate themselves and stay centered and not come out with like a lot of anger and other issues. I don't know how you would do that. It's a Herculanean task. And my hat go, goes off to all the people who, who come out better. 
but I just don't think it's a place for most people to to improve themselves. Um, and if you talk about punishing people, you know, for crimes they did, I mean, it's just uh, I find it to be pretty, you know, pretty onerous. I find it to be excessively punitive. I feel like it's especially for the criminal code. You know, most of the people there are there. A lot of the people there are there for like the percentage of violent offenders is very small. Mostly it's drugs. And mostly it's, um, you know, things like that. They're, they want drugs or they're dealing, involved in drugs. So I'd say a vast majority is drug related, which is its own societal problem, you know. Um, and so we're just locking people up, man. And of course there's over policing in black communities, poor communities. Um, you know, you might be in Kingwood and get away with something that you wouldn't get away with in A-Leaf. And so that's not fair. Um, we get, we, I say we, people of color get over penalized for the same crimes that, that a white person would do in similar situations. So, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty strongly against it. Uh, the, the criminal justice system we, we have now. And so that's partly why I try to keep people out of it as much as I can. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty accurate in, in what you believe it to, uh, the prison system to be, you know, as someone who spent some time there, it's. It was very, it was very difficult to. I'm surprised you didn't come out yoked. I thought you were supposed <laughs> to come out. <laughs> I mean, I, I got bit, you know, I got a little size to me when I first came out. You know, uh, I was, I was in, you know, the best shape of my life, and uh, I just really concentrated on, on uh, making myself a better person. You know, yeah. in, in every aspect. You know, whether it was spiritually or physically, mentally, did a lot of reading, went to school. Yeah, yeah. you um, did come out Muslim, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> uh, that's not true. Um, but so, I mean, it, 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 but most people don't do that. And I think a perfect example of that is take take coronavirus, right? Take corona. What now? <laughs> everyone, what, what, what are you talking about? COVID-19, you know, everyone's locked up basically, right? You can't leave your house. You're, you're, you're in your own little prison, but you know, it's a very, depending on your economic status, how good your little prison is. But for me, it's, it, it, it's a cakewalk. This is nothing, right? Like yeah. people are freaking out. People, are, I, and I get it why you, something that you're not used to. Some people are used to going out every day, meeting up with their friends every day, going to the bar every day, going out to lunch every day. And so now it's like, well, I can't, I can't take this. You know, you're, you're, t I, I was used to lockdowns. Yeah. Not being able to get out of my bunk for a month, you know, and to take a piss or a shit or a shower. Yeah. If you're allowed to take a shower that day. Yeah. So, I mean, do you ever still think about, is that still in your brain somewhere? Do you ever still think about that or are you like past it completely mentally? Like think about what that. Yeah, just your experience, your time. Is it like a, a thing that you blocked you know, off in it, your mind? It's something. No, I, I don't. I don't think I blocked it out. I think that you know, there in the beginning when I was when I first got out, you know, probably like just that first year, um, it was it was like, you know, you you're you know having to reassimilate back into society, and it took a little bit of time, um, but now. It's like I don't really think about it, but I but I do think about how it affects some of the decisions that I make. Whenever I analyze like how I feel a certain way or why I feel a certain way, um, obviously that's a huge part of my life. And even even like uh, I mean, let's just let's just go ahead and talk about it now. You know what what's, what's happening with with uh, George Floyd? I I am not a black man. I am a Hispanic man. I'm a Mexican man. But 
I have spent an enormous amount of time around the black community, and I I have been discriminated against by the police, um, by employers, by you know numerous people mm-hmm. in my life, people of authority, people who had power over me, um, have discriminated against me, and 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 so I've experienced it. I've seen it happen to 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 black people. Um, it's it's an issue. I ask you know so now I want to get your opinion as as a lawyer. Um, we all know that it's very difficult to to prosecute the police, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have you had any past experiences with with that, or you know have you had to maybe do a little research for whatever reason in a case about um, instances like that? What it doesn't even have to be like end in death, right? Just any type of brutality no. yeah like i said I, I had a case where i know the cops um right no, no exactly they beat one of my one of my clients up and the sad part was and you know if we're being 100 honest looking back on it i i regret that i didn't do more for my guy he um you know i i wish i had but i mean there's a lot of things going on in his case and and a lot of it i did, did drop the ball i thought that the best thing i could do for him was to get his charges dismissed which we did we got the charges thrown out my guy had so much, he had so much trauma from it, dude. You know, I mean, he was physically beat up. He wasn't like, you know, fatally injured or anything, or even I would say seriously injured. Um, but, but he, he got over the bruises and everything, but, but he, uh, he, it wore on him. I mean, the cops beat him up. The cops beat his ass for, and it's not like, um, you know, he, for something he said, I'll go ahead and give the, I guess the, the, the thumbnail sketch of it, but. Some cop went to his house to serve him some papers, and uh, she was being rude to his father, his elderly father. She was asking him, the father for for the son, and she was, you know, making a big ruckus. And and the father's kind of elderly and infirm, and she was she shook him up. He was shook. So the son comes out. He's hot because the way this cop was talking, and female cop was talking to his dad, and he's like, "You don't have to be like that. You know, you gotta." calm down, you know, whatever. Don't be, you know, she was talking loud. She was yelling in his neighborhood, 7.30 in the morning, waking everyone up. Um, he took the papers that she was there to serve. It was some family law dispute. And, uh, and he's walking back in the house and she's walking away and they're jawing at each other. And and as he's walking into the house, he said, he said, that's why y'all get shot. And this is around the time of Dallas when those cops got shot. It's like two weeks after so, those cops got shot in Dallas. Um, right. Tragically. Um, and that that maniac shot shot those cops, and uh, we all remember that. And uh, and this was like a few weeks after that, a pretty short time after. So he says that he goes in the house, and I guess his comment was about her attitude and how she's treating people, and that's why people have hate towards them. So here's what she did: she goes to her car, and he goes in the house. She goes into her car. The job's done. She could have gone home and whatever, and, or gone back to the office, and it's a, a the station and it's a done deal she calls seven other cops they come down like i said they 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 take their body cams off or they quote unquote leave their body cams in the car or oh my body cam is not charged which is a violation of policy they're all supposed to have their body cams on and they call him back out and they charge under the auspices of saying he made a terroristic threat because she told her other friends that he said um this is why you'll get shot. Like, like, a, like I'm going to shoot you. Right. Which is not at all what he said, but they called him out. He comes out of the house. None of them have body cams on and they arrest him just with brutal force. Slam him against his wall, throw him on the cement. 
and they basically just beat him down for real quick for a few minutes and then throw him in the car. And, uh, and that's what happened. And uh, so I got his charges dismissed, thrown out. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's and I told I told the prosecutor she had some dirty cops and, uh, you know, my guy wanted to pursue a, a civil rights complaint, but there was no body cam footage. So I told him I gave him the number of a bunch of civil rights attorneys. I said, contact these folks. They'll help you out. But um, the laws are against people like that, man. You know, you got to make the case. You got to prove that these cops acted. And so if there's no footage, if no one's filming, if you don't see, if you don't have a bunch of eyewitnesses, it's very hard to do. Even if you have that stuff, it's still hard to do. You know, I was uh, reading an article where they they had people um, watch the tape, you know, these, these, these experts, psychology experts and people experts with... For Mr. Floyd? Yeah, they were yeah. they were watching that video, and they said, "Well, this this is very clear uh, street justice, what what they call street justice, and that's when what, what you're referring to, yeah. when when uh, someone says something, gets you hot. Oh, you said okay, let me let me take care of you. Even even if like, uh, you know, um, I've heard lots of stories, firsthand stories, from people I know that have ran from the police, and usually." If you run from the police and they catch you, they're gonna, they're gonna beat your ass. They have a right to beat your ass is how a lot of them think. Right, exactly, exactly. That's not how you know you can't you can't because it's street justice, and and now we see where what, what happened with that street justice, right? It, it led to 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 a man's death. Um, you know, just recently those those charges got escalated to to second degree murder, and now the other cops are, are facing charges as well. It's it's a lot bigger than than just you know the, what's going on in terms of the police brutality. Right, it's a lot bigger than that. It's it's, it's racism. Racism is, is um, the the huge issue. But uh, you know, like I said before in, in my earlier podcast, is is you know you kind of kind of tackle each issue individually, right, mm-hmm. and kind of just make changes where you can. Um, what you know, what do you think is going to end up happening with with this case? Do you think that the evidence is just so cut and dry, and with all this pressure from from uh, from society, not just here, all over the world. Um, I mean, one would hope, right, that this, you know, that that they get they get uh, prosecuted and, and, and convicted, right? But uh, you know, creates a, a chain reaction. I mean, do you think uh, that's that's where we're probably going to head for a conviction, or is it just due to the fact that police just have a history of being able to get away with it? Um, I think that. I'm both inspired and also um, demoralized by by Mr. Floyd's case because, on the one hand, I'm inspired that everyone cares so much about what's happening to this to this black man and what has happened to I say black man, but you know all of us, people of color, uh, all sorts of people, but especially the black community um, over the years. I'm inspired that they've taken to the streets to protest for justice for him, and and I'm I'm glad that that ha- that has resulted in what you just said, the uh, the upping of the conviction charge and the the other charges on the other guys, other cops. But I am not optimistic in any prosecution because uh, because the law the law is against the law is in favor of police. You know the Supreme Court in a line of cases has said that the the standard. To judge a cop is reasonability. So if any cop under similar circumstances or a quote-unquote normal cop, and you know what a normal cop is, it's up to a jury or anyone to decide, if a normal cop would fear for their life, they can get off. 
That's why that's like the magic words for cops. They all, all they got to say is sometimes they say it and you know they're lying on the videos. Oh, he's got a gun. That's all they have to say because nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, it will get them off. You know, a, a reasonable fear for their life. But but in this scenario, I mean, there's video, mm-hmm. and and he's not in fear of his life. He is pinned down. He's handcuffed. There's he's other, unconscious. He, there's other police <laughs> at some are, point. Yeah, there's other police around him. Um, you know, I've I've. Uh, but 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 that's okay. So that's but they still are held to the reasonable standard. So in, yeah, he's not going to be able to say I was in fear for my life. But he's going to say that, you know, um, that that's how he was trained, or that's reasonable to do, or he's going to argue that. You know, a suspect might, you never know, a suspect might pop up and run or pop up and hurt him or, or something. And all he has to do is convince a jury that it was reasonable, that, that not that there was a right thing to do, just that, that, oh, well, even though I was wrong, it was still a reasonable action to think that this was something I could so do. So I was doing a little research on uh, Minneapolis law, mm-hmm. and it, it, it clearly states, because I, at first I was, you know, I heard other police uh, say that, you know, that's not proper police technique like that's not how you're supposed to do it right and Mm -hmm. so i was like well okay well let me investigate further and you know because it varies from state to state right so i was looking into you know the minnesota law and that's another big problem there's no uniform federal guidelines for for which which makes no sense right any other field any other field has at least some minimums or some guidelines right right and and it's stated that you are allowed to use basically any technique if you are in fear of your life once you you know you know shit hits the fan yeah you can do whatever we we, yeah we get that i can do the five finger the five finger heart stop yeah that or or, you know the the fish hook or you know what you know yeah yeah exactly whatever so chokeholds that's fine but when you're looking at the video the man the man is handcuffed he's on you know belly on the ground yeah. What would it have been that big of a deal if instead of having your, you know, your knee on his neck, maybe you just had it like on his back or sure. on his shoulder, yeah. where you're not, you know, cutting off his his uh, circulation. You know, he's not breathing. Like, yeah. I mean, that 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 it's it's pretty clear cut in, in terms of what what happened there. Okay, so historically, that doesn't give me a lot of hope because there's been clear cut cases before. I mean, you have Philando Castile. Um, you know, he was at a traffic stop and he told the cop. Hey, I'm a licensed handgun owner. I got a cop. I mean, I, I have a gun. He's telling the cop, like, I, I have a gun. And something happens, the cop freaks out and shoots him. You know, I mean, there's been clear-cut cases before where we think that we've got the evidence. We think we're going to get a conviction and the cop walks or, or, or something minimal happens to them. So that always makes me uh, not super hopeful. But <laughs> this case is different in that, um, I mean, a rookie cop, from what I t- from what I'm, I've read, I haven't seen this part of the footage because I couldn't take all eight minutes of it. I mean, or however long it was, I, I could not watch that much of it. Um, it just made me sick. But some I've read that at one point, one of the rookie cops there is like tells Ch- Chavin or whatever his name is, "Hey man, you know, can you can you just ease up off him?" And he tells him twice, and Chavin just is like, "No, no, no. He needs to be," or he says whatever he says, and he, and he just keeps his knee on his neck, but. I think the fact that another cop, in fact, one who is a rookie and who has just been trained, is like this is not this is not kosher. This isn't right. But he, is he also being charged? He's he is being charged. He is being charged. Um, they all got charges charges on them. Um, and uh, but yeah, but but he did attempt 
The other two didn't do anything, and they're more senior cops. But the rookie on the scene was like, questioned it. And maybe he should have done more. And maybe the jury will say he should have done more. But he at least, the very least, um, seems to be different from the others because he at least questioned, like, told him something like, hey, man, you know, can, can you ease up? And he still didn't. So that might be the thing that breaks Chauvin's uh, defense because another cop straight up told him, hey, you don't have to go be this excessive. And he still did. So that might be the thing that does put him away. I don't know. You know, like you said before, there's been uh, instances in the past, right, that clear-cut evidence and it just you didn't get the conviction. Um, that that's probably attributed to what we've talked to uh, talked about before on a, a bigger corruption, you know, coming from the you know the courts, coming from the government, coming from well, and it's not even a conspiracy or a con- uh, corruption. It's just that juries and people love and are and believe and trust police officers, and then when you have that, where people want. To, to to justify the police officer's action because they feel like they have the most dangerous job in the world. And, and there is a certain amount of danger. I totally understand that. You know, they want to trust and they want to believe police officers. And then again, who are these juries? These juries are going to be mostly white people, uh, people of a certain economic class who can take off all day or, or two weeks to do a jury trial. You know, a lot of people of lower social economic class can't take off that time of work. So you have a jury that's composed a certain way that's already predestined, predetermined to like police officers or trust them. And then you have a lot laws that are already there written to give the police an out. I mean, all of that just is a toxic stew that that's going to lead to these people not facing justice, man. So right now, I also read that they're actually waiting to get the, uh, the body cam footage. So, I mean, they had, you know, yeah. they were, they were wired. They, they have, this is I a mean, heavy, Subject matter, bro. I feel like we need to lighten it up. I thought I was brought here to talk about my rap career. <laughs> I did not know we were going to be in the history of brutality in the United States. Um, no, no, what, inter- what was I saying? Sorry, I interrupted you with my bad joke. Um, you said that uh, you said they were getting the body cam footage. Right, right. So, so that that's something that it's not you. They can't keep classified, right? Anytime you have a situation like this, they can sit on it for a long time. Why? Chicago. Why? Chicago sat on. Oh gosh, what's that young man's name? But they had a, a guy. Um, oh, I I know it. I, I, so I, so we'll who, edit it in as if I knew it. But, <laughs> but there, there, I can't remember his name right now. But there's a young man that was killed. Uh, was it was it was it Laquan? Was it McDonald? Uh, there was a young man that was that was gunned down. Because um, they said he was brandishing a, a a knife and he had like a screwdriver. They said he was attacking the cops and he ended up being like the footage from a Burger King across the street showed that he was like 30 feet away. Like right. they weren't not in imminent danger. And they opened fire on him and they sat on all that footage, dude. They sat on it for a year. Laquan McDonald. They sat on that footage for a year. The um, Chicago PD. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, the they, they power power does what it wants, man. Power does what I, but it wants. I, that's, and I guess that's the, uh, you know, I was I was saying how like in my last podcast I was like, well, the way you solve this is you, you know, the cops they need to have cameras on them and and we have to have access to. Y'all solved this problem already in the last podcast. Well, why are we talking about it? No, <laughs> you solved it already. No, no, but 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 like you said, the issue comes in with accessing of that course footage. So yeah. yeah, we have the cameras on the cops, but. 
We're or, holding on to the footage. That doesn't make case, any sense. In my case, they all had body cams, man. Or at least three of the seven cops had body cams. They just quote unquote didn't use them, didn't have them, didn't. They know. shouldn't see that. See, and and you're right. You you were mentioning before how the the laws and the rules that are in place is what's really limiting mm-hmm. the change. And 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 that's a, a great point. How is it possible that first of all they they should not be in charge of controlling that? Sure. You know that that is to yeah. watch you, yeah. right? That's almost like you know telling your you know your teenage son, "Hey, don't drive the car here, but here are the keys, and we're yeah. not going to check anything." Like, of yeah. course they're going to drive the car, you know. Yeah. What, 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 or, a, or more uh, a more timely metaphor would be, you know, here's a here's a cell phone. I'm not going to check the search history, but don't look at anything bad. Like, exactly. They're going to get into they're going to get into some 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 nasty shit. So so do you think the the way to to try to fix this, I mean what it all comes down to what voting and and getting the right people in 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 the right positions. But but I mean that takes time, right? Like that. Yeah. That's a long process. I mean, we need change now. What what mm-hmm. what, what what do you say what what's the steps we need to take? Do you have any opinion on what what can help solve this 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 huge problem it's a great question and as a criminal defense attorney with no police experience <laughs> i'm the right person to ask i'm glad you came to me no um the the, the good news and bad news is the bad news is it's, it's a long stimming problem br- brutality against people of color against you know not against anyone you know white people in the system get treated badly too and and of course black police can can be just as violent against you know other black people just as well so so race is an issue, but of course it's systemic. I think it's you know it's, it's it has to do a lot. Yeah, like you said, systemic, right? It's like I, I was this this I can't remember her name, but she was very against the uh, the whole George Floyd movement, uh-huh. and she was saying how you know the, the the statistics say that you know more more you know white men are killed by the cops every year, and you know and and, and a lot of the issues. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's obvious racism, but it's also got to do with your your status, right? Sure. Yeah, I I acknowledge that um, there are some statistics that show that you know white people might get might get, um, get gunned down by cops more or whatever. But of course, there's more white people in the, in the country. So I mean, there's statistics can say anything you want. I think it's pretty well acknowledged that based on the amount of black people there are and the percentage of crimes that they allegedly commit. They get treated disproportionately. Um, I think you can just look at the news, and, and this is anecdotal, but I mean, you can look at the news and see all these mass killers. You know, that guy in, was it Charleston? Um, uh, the guy that shot up the church, you know, and he's a violent, homicidal maniac, and he got, they took him to Burger King and they took him in peacefully. You know, they didn't, they didn't even lay a finger on him. Um, so I think. When you look at these stories, it shows you that we know that police can be nonviolent. They can de-escalate. They can take someone in without laying a finger on them. But in some communities, they don't. They don't use that training. They they know that they can do whatever they want. It's the Wild West. And uh, so it's not a question of can they do it. It's a question of will they do it and who they do it to. Um, but to your earlier question about how to solve it, I think there's only two ways people change. They either feel the heat or they see the light, right? And uh, – and I think that's what has to happen with police. They have to feel the heat of accountability. They have to realize if I don't turn my body cam, cam on every shift, I'm going to get in trouble. I might get disciplined. I might get fired. So then that will lead them to do it. 
But if there's no write-ups, if there's lax discipline, if no one really cares, they're not going to do or it. Or if they are not in charge of it. You know, you have eternal affairs, right? Mm-hmm. And their job, the, what eternal affairs are the police of the police, right? Infernal affairs is what they're called inside the police departments. <laughs> infernal affairs. I mean, that should, I mean, it's, they don't even have, they shouldn't even have an option to turn it off. And you should have a control center monitoring all of them. And if they right. notice that a cop on duty's camera is off, yeah. they need to be notified and be like, hey, man, you need to fix that immediately. Well, I think the police unions, uh, and this is kind of a small point, but I think the police unions fought for the cops to have their own um, their own control over it for privacy reasons. Like if they stop and want to use the restroom or if they uh, doing something personal or whatever, they, they should be allowed to. That's what their argument is. That they, Okay, but the camera's not looking at your dick if you're taking a piss. <laughs> it might be. I mean, well, you know, it's looking straight. I don't know how you take a piss, but, <laughs> but, but I, like to, I like to see the full show. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I don't know. That, I'm just telling you what their right, argument no, I, was. I, 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 and that's, that was the and, loophole, right? And if we had good cops, um, quote unquote good, we have a lot of good cops. But if if we had a good cop culture that said, hey, this is just something I need to do for my – and the most cops, they'll, they'll say this. Um, I've, I've heard of police and seen them on my videos of my defendants. Cops will say, look, I got a body cam on for your protection and mine, for both of – you know, they right. understand – that it's for both it works both ways because someone can lie on a cop too and the video camera can vindicate them exactly somebody could say oh he hit me or sure. he did this it's like no i didn't yeah. look it's on video right but of course if you have a culture where people don't get uh get penalized for hitting someone then maybe the cop doesn't give a shit if he if someone says they hit they've hit them because nothing's going to happen to them so you got to have a culture where they're accountable and they they but but we come from a culture that doesn't want the government watching us right Cops are people too, right? So people in general are against Big Brother cameras everywhere. You know, I've always, you know, you, I've, got, a, you got Facebook, Vic. <laughs> you, got, you got Google. Are your location settings you know, my, on right now? My, my history is documented. You know, I've, I, I, I've used to commit a lot of crime, so I, my opinion has obviously changed. <laughs> but now, as somebody who's a law-abiding citizen, as somebody who's not doesn't have anything to hide, man, you know, I'm all for. Yeah. Having cameras on every single corner, like you know? in, like in, uh, like in Minority Report. Have <laughs> <laughs> you seen Minority oh. Report? Yeah, but that, that I mean, that's a little bit crazy because they're predicting stuff that's gonna happen. But but that's Tom Cruise though. He's yeah. got his own. Thing but going. but what I'm saying is 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 the people that don't want you watching mm-hmm. are the people that are doing bad shit if you're not doing it. And I get it. We we want privacy because you got a right to privacy because you have a right to privacy, mm-hmm. but. An officer has a yeah. certain level of power. Absolutely. So with power Absolutely. comes with responsibility. So yeah. if you have all this power, then you have to be monitored. Because I agree 100%. I think that, uh, yeah, I agree 100% uh, with you on that. I think that because of their station, because they have so much power, and because, like like we said, it's for their protection too. Um, it, it should be part of their culture that, hey, this thing is for my job, but it's also for me, and I need to have it running. So, so. They need to have that system in place, but that's the another thing we need to talk about for cops. It's they they don't need to just be held accountable. The culture has to change where the cops can be told you're going to be held accountable all they want, but in daily interactions with the community, you know they have to change their whole mindset. They're out there sometimes looking to rough people up. They're, they they think that their first instinct is to use force. There's a lot of cops around the world. There's a lot of law enforcement officers in other countries and even in the United States who focus on de-escalation tactics. 
you know, that's a way to change their mindset. I'm not here to enforce the, the rule of law. And if you don't listen to me, you know, like you said, street justice, it's I'm here to protect and serve those words on the cruiser. They actually mean something. So if you know, you're yelling at me, I've been trained. I know better. I can handle the abuse. I don't need to take you behind the alley and beat your ass. I'm, I'm here to deescalate the situation. Every now and then we'll see something go viral where a cop like gets called for a noise complaint and he goes and he ends up like dancing with the, with the people and then everything's yeah. all good. He leaves and everyone's better. Their interaction is positive. You know, we need more of that. If we had more of those situations, people understanding empathy and less people, them beating people's ass on viral videos, then we'd start to see some change. But, yeah, that, I mean, but that's not that's not something that happens quick, man. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, because cops are humans, because you're, all, you're, you're just... You want robot cops. You know, the, uh, I, I was thinking about saying something about that. So Dr- Drones? <laughs> yes, drones. Um, I think that is the future we're going to move to. They can train drones to beat our asses too, man. So <laughs> no, no, I get, I get all that. It's just that... It's uh, when you have to have all these, when you have all these people, you know, doing this job, you're going to have bad apples. It's just, it, it's just going to happen. Of course. So maybe if you just were able to kind of eliminate a lot of those bad apples, kind of get your, your unit tighter and then replace the bad apples with the drones or the robots. <laughs> and then now you just have them control. Now you have. All right, Officer Chauvin, you've been, dis- <laughs> you've been dismissed and we're going to bring in unit 2489 as your replacement. I think, um, I do. I mean, f- just, I mean, cause drones is, is basically, I mean, having the drones around as a surveillance, that in itself is going to, you know, strike fear into people. Right. And, and this is a tough, question because um you know i've been to the uk and i've read you know about what they what they're doing in china with facial recognition and and whatnot and uh and those are two very different cultures obviously communist china and and socialistic united kingdom they both rely heavily on um on cctv closed circuit television and and they they love it in the uk and london most of london is wired for cctv and so that has dropped down like you said that has dropped down dramatically a lot of the crimes even in america dude I mean, everyone having a cell phone in their pocket and pulling it out at any moment, what are we but going to a closed-circuit television society? Let me ask you this. Um, you know, you, you're a lawyer. You're about protecting our rights. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's – especially as a defense attorney. That's yeah, all that's what I'm paid to do. Now, if those rights are being compromised at the expense of having a safer environment – you mean you, like the environment, like with a capital E, like yeah, like like, like you were saying with the, with with the UK and and the cameras and all this mm-hmm. decreasing, because because we, we we have to admit that if there was this type of surveillance and there was this type of uh, yeah, I mean where everybody was monitored at a closer level, yeah, you, it would it would it would decrease crime. And now, granted, sure. you have this 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 sure. outcry, oh, you know, my rights are being violated, blah blah, blah. right. But okay, but how how many murders and robberies are we eliminating? And and ultimately, ultimately, isn't that what we want? Peace. Well, I mean, um, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, not land of the constantly observed and home of the you know under under the watchful eye. Like we are, we accept as Americans that there's a certain amount of there's a cost of freedom, you know, and some of that I don't think it should be people being murdered. 
but there's a we prize our freedom much more than the UK does. Uh, and well, wait a minute, uh, let me walk that back. We have a different calculus when it comes to what we will accept for our free society. I mean, just look at Second Amendment, which I am not a Second Amendment guy, but but I understand what they feel. They they're they're profess. I, I get where they're coming from. You know, they believe that their freedom. Their way of life, their idea of freedom includes having firearms. That's not something you can go into UK and, and say the same thing or even Canada or even Mexico. They have a different conception of it. So, so yeah, we, we believe our freedom. We take our freedom dearly in some aspects like that, like with guns or some free speech. But yeah, man, I mean, um, I don't know. I don't think that America's, we don't even, we are not even cool with red light cameras. We're not here in Houston, but, but you remember that. Remember the short time period we had red the light cameras. The only reason we were not cool with that is because people were getting tickets. <laughs> well, what do you think would happen if uh, we had lights on every, we had cameras on every corner? Do you know what would happen? People that committed murders could be caught. People that were robbing people could be caught. I, I don't. I really don't see any negative. Like, oh well, some guy. Well, I got caught pissing on on the yeah. corner. Okay, you shouldn't have been pissing on the corner. That's like, true. I, I just. I really don't see. Other than you don't somebody, see the downside. I don't. I, other than somebody going, well, you're violating my rights as yeah. an American. Okay, first of all, you're on public property. Yeah. There's a lot of cameras in every stores and, and 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 malls. Strip malls have cameras already. Right. So it's not like cameras don't exist now. Okay. So so, so all I'm asking for is a, a is obviously I can't control if a neighborhood, if a if a private property wants this not to be a part of their neighborhood, they have that right because it's a private residence. I'm referring to out on the streets, out in the parks, out in public right. places. You make a great argument because um, the argument is that, hey, we're already, one, like with our cell phones, giving up a lot of privacy, and two, almost anywhere we go is going to be wired for Surveillance. cameras anyway. Yeah. So that's a great point, and it's hard to dispute, but I think the fear is that we, and I say we with the capital W, everyone has different conceptions of it, but most Americans... They, they, they're, they're distrustful of government because they don't want it. They don't want it used against them. You know, um, the government that sees you everywhere you go or can track you everywhere you go. I mean, right now, if, if we have a good, healthy, functioning democracy, I don't think it's a, that big of a deal either. But you, you don't know where that's going to go. You know, you got someone like Trump in office now. Say we get someone worse down the line. And now they have these tools to monitor everywhere you go. You know, we can easily see how that could be used against people. Trump is already out there saying that he said the other day um, that he he declares Antifa he declared Antifa, which is not an organization, to be a terrorist organization, right? So it's not a long leap, mental leap to go. Well, what if he were to say, "Hey, every protester out there is in violation of the law," and if he had the tools to surveil everyone and find all those people who are expressing their rights freely, but he doesn't think that they have a right to be out there. You know, I mean, it's a police state, bro. It's it's just a step closer to a police state. And that's something that we should all at least be wary of, right? No, that is true. Um, especially if you look at the times now, you know, uh, maybe not so much four or five years ago, but especially what's happening now. I mean, there definitely, there's definitely a, a lot of disconnect right now between the people and the government, right? You have this, <laughs> you have this, this, this joke of a president and Donald Trump. Um, you have, you know, police brutality and people, people are just tired of it. You know, yeah. it gets to a certain point 
you know and 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 you know i was one of those people and i'm i'm still all about peace you know i feel like peace is very important mm -hmm. but um it was really uh something that i saw uh, well we didn't have peace the black community did not well, have peace and, and that it was uh trevor noah posted something there. i encourage everyone to check it out um it really it's thoughtful young man that guy yeah that no, trevor noah he he's he's brilliant and it really kind of is moving my perspective a little bit more towards maybe a little bit of some uh, outcry and, and chaos because, you know, he made a valid point. He, he was like, okay, you know, what looting and, 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 you know, robbing Target, you know, what does that solve? And it's like, well, what does not doing it solve? Because we were, yeah. the system is already yeah. broken. Yeah. And we, we, we have to do whatever it takes to, 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 to fix it. It's, it's just, um, and you know, and I, I gotta, you know, applaud you for what you do. You know, uh, it's an uphill battle for you, isn't it? I mean, do you ever, I mean, do you ever just sit down and after taking a case and reading all the information and just go, God, what the fuck yeah, am I yeah, gonna do? This is this is gonna be an uh, this is gonna be a struggle. Oh yeah, yeah. There are places where, uh, and this goes back to your earlier question, which was a good question about about defending people you know or strongly suspect did the shit you know um yeah yeah it's a it's you look at the case in front of you and you see the evidence against someone and you're like shit this is a this is bad but then your role might change maybe you say look the the the, the goal here may not be to get you a not guilty the goal here may be to get you something that we can live with that's fair and fair might be probation you know fair might be we put you on paper and you're on probation for 10 years but hey you're out of prison. You can still live your life. You can redeem yourself. You know, we can keep you out of TDC. Um, and you can uh, between me and you, I've, I've been on probation before. And uh, this is just something that is, is, you know, the word around the campfire when you're locked up. And that's probation is a trap. Probation yeah. is, is designed to extract money and indubitably lock you back up. I tell, uh, what, what is your opinion on, on the probation? I think that... Uh, well, I think it's uh, it's t I tell everyone that I put on probation, and I, I quote unquote hate putting people on probation. I don't hate because sometimes it's the best I can do for them. I tell everyone who goes on it. They ask me, "Is this a good deal?" That's what they all ask me. Okay, Mister Sadio, is this a good deal? You know that we have, and I give them my opinion. You know whatever the facts are, yes or no. You know I think this is or, or is not a good deal. But then when it comes to probation, I always say, I mean it's a, it's it's a good deal if you can do it. And it's difficult to do. Know that, that it is difficult to do successfully. Um, you can do it, but, and then I try to go through everything, try to go through scenarios. Okay, well, what if you can't make the payments? Okay, well, what if you test dirty? Well, what if we do this? You know, what happens if you fall back in with your old friends and you all end up fucking around and doing this, you know? And I just try to put that in their head. How many times do you did you get a guy that goes, I want probation? Every time. <laughs> Every time. But, but, then, but what about when they're telling them like five, ten years? Yeah, like, they all still want probation. The, the hardest ones are the state's asking for 10 years TDC, 15 years TDC. And I go talk to my guy and I say, okay, well, here's what they're offering. And he's like, you know what? I'll take probation. You'll take as if it's like on the menu, like you can just choose. No, no, no. For it to be on the table, I have to do it extremely good job to, to even get you there you know so um so yeah i mean it's funny what people are i guess they think that they they think they have access to but in, in another way i appreciate it because when they set those parameters it makes me i mean because i got to do what they say you know 
I'm not there to twist their arm and make them take the states but, off. Her. But how many times do, do you, somebody go, yeah, give me give me those five years papers, and you're just like, yeah, you there's no way, there's no way, you ain't gonna make it. There's but, no but way. If oh he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've but, had, well, I've had probation officers tell me they're like, well, he's just gonna end up back in TDC, and I say, well, at that point, um, that's on the person. You know, I, I try to do my best and let them know how hard it is. I tell them what you know, try to make sure their support system is good. But man, I mean, I'm there to try and give people a chance to sort their shit out. I'm not there and do the best deal for them, right? I'm not there to to baby them or to to be to be. They have enough people telling them they're, the state is there to try and give them years. I'm there to try to give them a chance to to make some, to to make it work. So yeah, no, you're right. I get a lot of people. I'm like, damn, this dude's probably gonna end up violating. And I try to tell them this. You know, you got a drug problem, and this is you got to stay clean if you want to be on this program. Um, that's just how it is. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just a conversation you have to have and you got to let them make their choice as best they can. And sometimes, you know, it's a bad choice, but you know, you, you hope, you hope as well, man, you got to have hope. How crazy was it when they were releasing all these people or not, or giving them PR bonds and that is not crazy, Vic. That's how it should be. The presumption is that people should not be locked up. Presum- presumption is that all these people are innocent until proven guilty. They should not be. I mean, that to me was a. You're talking about in Corona with Corona right. being present and being a, a factor or being a fear in the jails, and suddenly all these counties were releasing people who were high threat. That's what you're referring to. Yes. That's how, from the defense attorney's perspective, that's how it should work. We should not be. United States of America is, I want to say, the first or second, or we're in the top five of people who are incarcerated in the world. Correct. And the majority of them are people man i'm totally going on a rant here you might edit all this but <laughs> the majority of them are not guilty just waiting pre-trial they're wait they're pre-trial they're waiting their day in court so technically technically under the constitution they're not guilty and they're they're there just because they're waiting so no i think that for one weird crazy moment the criminal justice system worked how it should because think about it vic for once people were saying they were worried about the people in jail they were like, oh, man, these people might get COVID. We need to get them out. That's how you should always be thinking about putting this person in bars is going to affect their life, their job, their family, their whatever. So do you So you think that if somebody is is charged with a crime, they shouldn't have to be bonded out? They should just be out? No, no, no. I, I think that I think the rules are fair. I just think people don't apply them fairly. The rules are the judge is supposed to make a determination based on the situation, um, case by case. And uh, and he's supposed to decide if the person's a flight risk or danger to the community, and he sets a bond that's supposed to ensure that they show up in court. And usually that involves money. You know, if you don't, you promise me to, you promise me you're going to come back to court. If not, we're, you're going to owe us, I don't know, $10,000 PR bond. And, uh, and yeah, man, so I think that that's what should happen in 99% of cases. I think you talk about money in the system. The bail bond industry is mostly just it's a system of bail bondsmen and, and pretrial services and courts taking people's has, money. Has that system always been the case? Always since the beginning of, of you know the whole system? It, it's, it's, I think it's always been like that, right? This, 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 this uh, well, if you want to go home, yeah, yeah, it's kind of just probably like, <laughs> yeah, our, our, our uh, the whole greed thing and the whole thing about money is like the first, the, like the first guy to get bond, right? He was probably just some real rich guy that was like, hey, yeah. Let me just give you a little bit of a change here, and uh, I'll come Mr. back. Mr. Green will uh, secure my release. 
I think that uh, I don't know, man, enough about the history of the penal system in the country to know to answer that question. I really don't. Um, but I do know as far back as the criminal justice system we have, you know, as far back as we can go. I mean, as far back as is relevant to go. I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s. The modern criminal justice system. I think bail's always been something that the rich people have been able to pay and get out, and poor people have not been able to have right. access to. That's another thing you mentioned about poor and rich earlier. This is another issue. Even now, in Harris County, where they've had quote-unquote bail reform, even right now, a poor guy drives drunk, is alleged to you know driven drunk. He gets out on PR bond. Most of the judges will throw all these conditions on the dude. Well, you've got to be drug drug tested. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do all these things. You've got to check in with your probation or pretrial services. They'll, they'll hit them with all these conditions to get out on PR bond, to get out with no money. And so suddenly you say, trap, he's got all these things he has to do. And I'm, some of them are warranted, but some of them are just bullshit things like, well, checking in. I mean, I may have a job. I may not be able to come. I may, whatever, you know, they're just inconveniences that some people might be see as traps. A rich guy puts down, you know, $20,000 bond. He walks out, no conditions, same crime or worse crime. So there's an example, man, of just money, money, just money talks in the system still, even despite this reform that everyone's and I, I applaud the reforms but it's still you know still not enough yeah i know there's there's gotta be a, i mean i just got got done watching the jeffrey epstein documentary and that that really is that, is that pretty funny i was thinking about checking that out <laughs> i mean it, it's it's uh it's not like i wasn't like oh this is something that i'm it wasn't shocking like the corruption of uh, of the just the government, just any, any any anything that involves people, there's always going to be a level of corruption. People yes. always corrupt. Yes. How corrupt. did that dude make his money? Oh, uh, he. Uh, it was through like uh, I think I want to say some stocks and accounting uh, stuff. He he was just in on the ground. Oh, and also, he seemed to have a uh, homosexual relationship with this very wealthy guy. And uh, he like he like was his like financial advisor and uh, handled a lot of his like stock options and he got him for a lot of money. Like he like he ponzied him like he took his money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he got good, it. He got good, it. It's a pretty good scheme there. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's uh, it's it was it was pretty crazy. But what what I thought was like one of the craziest moments in a documentary was when like uh, you know there's uh there's all these charges against him and then you see photos of him with uh like donald trump and bill clinton mm -hmm. and at that time it was trump versus hillary and you're just like wow like this guy is cool with both sides yeah and he was yeah. cool he he managed to penetrate both sides you know um, excellent his, wording excellent wording there yeah his level <laughs> level of evil just reached well um, it's money man it's like no, you said it's money and there's a lot of i mean wall street is uh famously you know, they were the biggest backer of Obama during his run. Um, I mean, what I mean to say is they're usually mostly they usually give their money heavily to Republicans. But w during Obama's run is one of the f most recent during his run. They they mostly gave their money to a Democrat, which was pretty unheard of. And I'm not at all saying that every Wall Street person is at close to the level of monstrosity as Epstein. But I'm just saying that, like, you know, power goes on both sides. They can they can. Everyone wants to listen to what money has to say, is what I'm saying. It's my deep thought of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, man, money, man. Uh, that's that's a whole different podcast in itself. Um, yeah, let's, I'm, I'm going to have. Some, let's get some money. Let's let's do that. Let's yeah, figure well, out a way to get. I gotta some. get the secretary of uh, was it treasury the. Secretary, is there a secretary of treasury? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I got. Who, who is that? Mnuchin. 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 Um Call me. Um, I need you here. We gotta talk about corruption. We gotta talk about the, the banking system, the Federal Reserve, all that shit, man. Um, well, John Paul, thank you for coming on, brother. It was a pleasure. We're done. I want going on an hour and a half. Oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah, that's so, a long one. Well, you can edit a lot of it down. You can. No, nah, well, we're just going to edit the fuck ups out of it. We'll keep cool. everything else. Okay. Um, okay. Also, um, uh, do you have an email address you want to share? So if anybody needs any any uh, legal advice, any representation, they can get a hold sure. of you. Sure. Direct all complaints to uh, <laughs> jpcedillo at com. There you go, folks. You need a good lawyer. Holler thanks at for the boy. plug. Thanks for the pl- thanks. Thanks for putting the plug oh, for my course, for my business man. at Absolute, the very. Thanks for putting it at the very end of the podcast. I appreciate <laughs> that, Vic. <laughs> I can always edit it. Well, I'll put it. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna put your name up on, on the info when they see it. You know, they're gonna see, oh, that's badass attorney. They're gonna, you know, everything. You can just Google shit. They're gonna Google your name. Like, oh all yeah, right, I want that guy. Right. You know, so you're good, man. Good man. I got you. I got you. Well, folks. 10% discount if you claim the SWAT. Yeah, man. Just mention Slick Vic. Yeah, I heard. I got your your information off Slick Vic, man. Uh, Make sure you holler Slick Vic and make sure you have to, if you're going to get the discount, you got to share and give me five stars on uh, (laughs) whatever platform you use. Um, Quick quick pro quo. (laughs) Thanks again, uh, Mr. Cedillo, folks. Y'all have a good one.